be Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I've been Falcon's time Falcon screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. We are all forgetting things because this is that time of the not that time of the month, that time of the that year. Time of the lockdown. Basically, that time of the lockdown. Yeah, we're pretty much. Yeah, we're in a strange place, but we're all in this place together. We're it's called the Zoom world, and we're the virtual world inside virtual. the Matrix. Yes, later in the podcast, we're going to be, I'm going to be talking a little bit about clickbait, which is very much of this modern time. But for the episode itself, we're going to be talking Val, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime. And for a very different change of tack, the spiritual successor to She's All That and Not Another Teen Movie, He's All That, which is now streaming on Netflix. Spiritual successor. That's a new one. I feel it's not a, look, it's not a direct sequel. It's not a remake. It's a spiritual success. It's part of a trilogy. You know what this is, honestly? This is like the Godfather trilogy in terms of timing and respective quality between entries. Think about it. Um, I, Sorry, we just, I'm not I, going I to think about it. I don't think this movie <laughs> merits that much thought. We'll get to that. But we'll also, I mean, I never thought we'd be saying the Godfather trilogy and he's all that in the same sentence. But but here we are. I mean, obviously, is all that. It's a remake, by the way. It, it, I, I'm not going to allow the spiritual successor nonsense to take root. <laughs> For the record, I don't think Godfather is as good as He's All That or She's All That, which I love nearly as much. Oh, they're as close. I love they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty close, Glenn. <laughs> Be fair. Just because the Godfather's old, you're scared of TikTok. You want to acknowledge how, how great this masterpiece that's Grace, their eyeballs really is. There were things, it did things to her eyeballs. There were, there were things about it I enjoyed. Um, she's all that though. Actually, Not Another Teen Movie is my Desert Island comedy. If I could take one comedy, it this would movie, be Not Another Teen Movie. What does this movie have to do with Not Another Teen Movie beyond the fact that you like Not Another Teen Movie a lot? Not Another Teen Movie is more of a remake of She's All That than okay, this fair movie. Enough. Which we'll, we'll, which we'll get into proper. Uh, first, though, just quickly, news of the week: the Screen at Film Festival has gone online from the first time for the first time from today until the end of the month. The Take Forty Eight Film Challenge, the third annual one, as part of the Sydney Underground Film Festival, you can still register. Takes place from this Friday through to Sunday. You have forty eight hours to make a film, and then it will be screened as part of the Sydney Underground Film Festival, which we'll be discussing in a couple of weeks, and which kicks off on the 9th of September. And the Irish Film Festival kicks off from Friday night through to the following Sunday, the twelfth. We'll be discussing some of the films from that festival in more detail then. But for the moment, we are talking Val. Val is a documentary that is now screened on Amazon Prime about Val, the titular Val Kilmer is narrated by his son, who is playing Val Kilmer, importantly. It is about his life um, as an actor, his personal life, and his later experience with cancer, which he discusses a little bit in the film. We talk about his filmography, and importantly, we also see a lot of unseen footage. Kilmer, as I learned for the first time, produced thousands of hours of behind-the-scenes footage and films in his life, and behind the scenes with fellow actors. And some of that, he, he's gone through it all. He's released some of that as part of the documentary, including some really fascinating footage from the Island of Dr. Moreau with Brando, um, some stuff with Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn as but examples. I, I really like this film. I like how it's not just in service of talking about the man Val Kilmer, but it talks about actors' relationships with fans. It talks about our relationship with film itself and fans' relationship with film. But it talks about how an actor 
particularly one of his notoriety, can evolve in their relationship with the craft, which he became in fascinating ways, both in very endeared to, but also very disillusioned with. And I really like that about this. He's film. an interesting character, you know. Um, his life has an interesting tragic arc in that not only um, the, the cancer diagnosis um, and the aftermath of that, but also in, in terms of we start out with him talking about wanting to be in Hamlet and he's always chasing that Hamlet, you know, wanting to play Hamlet. And he's always basically chasing that role through the entire film. That's Mark it's Twain. Just, right. It's, it's always out of his grasp. Um, I thought the film was okay. I think the film was ultimately to surface level. Um, it touched on a lot of interesting subjects, but I feel like some of the more interesting dramatic things going on behind the scenes weren't touched on and as it is it feels very kind of straightforward and smoothed over it feels a little bit glossy it feels a little bit stage managed to that they go through a lot of his greatest hits films like batman forever the saint top gun top secret um examples of films i really really like i've seen some of the films from his later era the only film i saw kiss Kiss, bang bang for the first time yesterday the only film i've seen from post that in his filmography is sorry and bad lieutenant sorry there are two excuse me and a lot of these films in this era, which were more the not Hollywood blockbuster era, was really glossed over. And I know those films aren't as interesting for me, but um, given we were diving into him and how a lot of actors can change their tra- tra- trajectory, I would just as well have liked the proportion of the film dealing with that rather than just and literally giving lip service. They, there's like one line with acknowledge McGruber, there's one line with acknowledge um, the film from the 90s where he plays a blind person uh, who regains his sight, an underrated one. but. Uh, a lot of it's really let's focus on the big ones versus the ones that were important to him but maybe not a society as much that's it it's very much this like the story of my life as a big time hollywood actor um here's the movies you know me for this one's for the fans kind of thing but going back to what i said before about how he is always chasing that hamlet role you have to ask why did he choose the path he took this is what I mean about how the film glosses over things. You, the, basically, the only explanation you get around the very Hollywood type, sometimes really bad movies uh, that he chose to be in consistently is things like, well, you don't say no to bad to Batman, right? But what kind of life, what kind of career might Val Kilmer have had if he'd chosen to star in more indie films instead of going for vacuous, or, or you know, more artistically credible productions if he if he'd chosen that path as an actor and stuck with it i'm not trying to get into a criticism of val kilmer the person here i'm just saying that like there's a whole world probably of choices and regret that you could discuss about that but this film it sort of all just falls into place like then i was in this film then i was in this film you know how did he feel being in in those films like how did he feel making those choices why did he make those choices i think firstly batman forever is not a bad film it's a great film uh but anyway, the okay. is strong, but it that, that, there's a different kind of fight. That, that that should be a fight we should be having. Right? Which one is the best Batman movie out of the you know the three old ones? Uh, anyway, or anyway, or yeah, sorry, yeah, let's fight next year. Four, four, that's correct. Uh, the one thing I did like about this film was I didn't think Val Kilmer, out of maybe it's my own ignorance, I didn't think he was he had so much depth in him as a person to be as interesting that a documentary should be made about him and his choices. And this film made Kilmer to be interesting enough 
which I thought was surprising for me because there were enough aspects of his life that I didn't know about uh, and his kind of dedication to cinema and restoration work, which kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is a new side to him that I had no idea about. I have, I personally have always found Kilmer an interesting character. I've actually enjoyed going back and watching some of these small for the first time. I'll get into that in a moment. What are the more interesting, as an example, what are the more interesting anecdotes was about him deciding not to do Batman and Robin, but doing The Saint instead. The Saint is a film I really like. It's a film that's, I think, a little bit better than Batman Forever. It is my favorite performance from Kilmer. It's very eclectic. And I would have liked more as to why there was this pivotal change. He gives a bit of a reason as to why he was disillusioned with Batman. There's an amazing anecdote about how he couldn't hear or move in the suit and how it's isolating. And that as an analogous experience of being a big star in Hollywood, that's interesting. But there wasn't a key connection with, between that and why he didn't do the Saint or why he took the trajectory he clearly chose yeah. to do. I, I find it, what I find interesting about Kilmer is, is he started off so big. He made Top Secret, a really underrated film, went straight into Top Gun and made all these others. But his career- Real Genius is a good underrated film as well. I would I should see, I haven't seen a lot of his films. Um, I went back this week as an as an example and watched four film films I had it. Two of them are absolutely amazing. I can't believe I missed them. Kiss Kiss Bing Bang, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Tombstone. Love them. The other two were Alexander and Willow, two films I absolutely did not like. I know Willow has mixed reviews. I, I'm not a fan at all. Uh, except some of the production design. I wanted to know, look, the last chronological film I saw from him is Magruba, a film I don't like very different reasons. And I wanted to know why he decided to make this film. What is he, what is he on this era of cinema? We That's exactly it. it. It just doesn't tell you enough about what's really going on behind the scenes. Like you get to hear a, a few kind of, I, I loved this person. Um, I, I thought, you know, this person was great, whatever type musings, but you never hear the kind of deeper explanations of his choices. If this is meant to be really like, here, here is me. We're all feeling a little bit deprived of some of that interior, right? And I, I would, I would have, and there were things where he hinted at the reasons. Um, the behind-the-scenes audio of him being abused on the set of the Island Doctor Moreau, and the talk about what went on there—that's fascinating to me. Why didn't we get more of that? If this is the reason why you don't want to be associated with this, um, then it needs to, it needs to be more clear through line. Say so. He talks about his divorce as well, but I feel there's a number of prominent reasons given which don't really add up to a piece of whole of who, what, what ultimately drives this person. Yeah, I think the aim of this movie is to fix his um, image from being, you know, kind of some boring guy to, as uh, Verrett was saying, show that he's, he's a person of some substance and depth. And he is an interesting person and he does seem like an interesting person I'd enjoy spending time with. Um, you know, who deserved better shots artistically in some ways. Sure, I, I believe that. But um, what you said about the Island of Dr. Moreau um, tape ties in, I think, to the point I was making earlier about this being a little bit smoothed over. We, I, because I thought, you know, we've, we've, everything's been framed from Val Kilmer's perspective, where he says, I didn't like Frankenheimer, you know, in doing this or that. Then when we hear the clip, um, and Frank, you know, um, Val Kilmer is saying, I, you know, I won't turn off this video camera um, for a variety of reasons because you did this. I thought, well, hold on. How do we know that Val Kilmer isn't being difficult in this situation here? I need to be clear. Um, his characterization of the events on set. Yeah. That's what I was referring to. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. But um, yeah, hearing that, that little bit, I thought Val Kilmer sounds like he's being a child. Right. And it could be that John Frankenheim had been being abusive to him and that 
that brought it out of him. Who knows? But then you have to take that in uh, conjunction with the, what we are constantly told isn't true, which is that Val Kilmer is difficult. Again, with the, the why that's always missed out on, how, why isn't he difficult? How are they wrong? How is actually perfectionist in what ways? You know, we have a montage of, of people talking about Val Kilmer being difficult, and then we have a, a brief little snippet for a few seconds of Robert Downey Jr. saying he's not. It's like, okay, cool. He's, he's not difficult. Gotcha. Yeah. But for some reason, he struggled to get the roles he wanted, and he was dogged by this reputation for Absolutely. a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I... It's, too, it's, it's too manicured a PR piece for Val Kilmer, ultimately, even though the, the film... it's really interesting and personal in some ways. The film is about getting himself and the marketing biopic out there, but mm-hmm. it is deep enough in that it talks about how he went along to cinemas, how his relationship with fans evolved, how he as a fan of cinema changed. Um, it, it also chronicles, I don't remember who did it, but there were all these great photos published from the late 90s of celebrities taken at this restaurant where they never thought the photos would be published. It was before social media. And it was just this portrait of how people interacted before there was cameras and in their face all the time. And the film documents this from um, easy interactions with Bacon and Penn to um, someone who clearly was not au fait with the 24-7 absolutely um, overwhelming approach, um, burden that being a movie star required. Um, there have been a lot of actors who've come out and said, I'd address others who've um, otherwise been a little bit more private in their lives and have been able to do so. Kilmore mm-hmm. obviously didn't like it. And I could have gone to a documentary dealing just with this aspect, but they want us to talk more about his relationship with his father and family else, which frankly um, is relatable, but from but not as engaging to me as his position as a film star and film icon. That's it. We're interested in him because he's the guy who almost reached the top and didn't quite, you know, didn't quite get there. That's the story we want to hear most about. The family, as you say, the family details are interesting, but they're not especially essential, you know, compared to the perspective he brings as a filmmaker. I think echoing what Chris said, and this is something which I kind of struggle with in the film, is that there are two sides of Kilmer which are being sort of teased about, which is one, uh, Val the actor versus Val the movie star or wannabe movie star, essentially. And uh, you kind of struggle between the two of them. Well, he is a movie star, but you know he's a huge movie star. I mean, just just because he didn't yeah, make it as his, his top gun co-star, which is I think who he's most compared but to. I just, I just, I just, I just said mean what, he's not a huge actor, and he is. Val Kilmer's a household name. Yeah, you know, but I, I'm just saying wannabe in the sense because a lot of times during the film he feels like he's just below the you know the top tier actors. He feels like he's if there is the echelon, the a a god tier of actors, he's like he wants to be Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer had their equivalent roles come out about the same time, referring to Mission Impossible and Batman Forever. Batman Forever actually being a bigger film. Tom Cruise stuck with the franchise that is most characterized. And this could have been what most characterized Kilmer. I think he was a good Batman, not a good Bruce Wayne. But he went and did The Saint hmm. because he wanted to do more eclectic fare. He wanted to do a project that was challenging as an actor and it was and I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that he's done over the past little while but I know that something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is more challenging and it's something I actually really like that I think the documentary another thing documentary touched on but didn't go explicitly into and I really 
brought it to the fall with Tombstone, which I watched the other day. Um, Kilmer surrounds himself with the Tom Cruises, the Sam Elliott's, the Kurt Russells, the big, tough guys who are traditionally masculine, very loud. Um, he is as conventionally masculine, but in a quieter way. It's something that's very difficult to exude, especially when you're dealing with very loud people. Um, I think the pinnacle of this is Tombstone, but he manages this in Willow of all the film's faults too. I like, I like that about him. I like that about his films. I wish that had been something that dealt into, especially as his career came at a time when we still expect this action man to be bigger and larger than life, which he didn't pursue, but still managed to, again, exude a version thereof, which I found very much more interesting than a lot of the other performances he worked with. I, he was, his was my favorite performance in Tombstone of all the good ones therein. He very much has a Keanu Reeves type energy, doesn't he? And that like the quiet action star. Uh, ex except I guess like Keanu Reeves has this, whatever he's off screen kind of exudes on screen as well. Whereas, you know, he is just so nice. He's Keanu Reeves is probably the quintessential nice guy of Hollywood who is nice on and off screen. But Kilmer you know what? Didn't have he's that. Convincingly angry and generally though. I just, I, di I disagree. Reeves only developed this um reputation quite recently historically Reeves unfortunately I say this with great love because I love both actors Reeves for a long time in Hollywood was a bit of a joke he was considered this oh not that great actor he's underrated as an actor I'd say the same for Val Kilmer Val Kilmer was a throwaway line on Family Guy in The Simpsons for an undeserved because he was an Iceman and then he was in a dumb Batman movie where he couldn't turn his snack yeah you know that that's that's basically it um, if he'd played Hamlet, it might have been different. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to Val Kilmer. This, this stuff is interesting. This is the way life turns out sometimes. This thing, Kilmer is strange among the level, the A-grade level of movie stars, people who achieved his level of fame, who do not arguably have a defining role. I don't think Batman yeah, is that's a defining it. role. I don't think Iceman is his defining role. The same could have been his defining role if it had been more popular. Uh, but again, it's good. I wish it had been bigger. It had a bad ending. Mm. Uh, but yeah, was I, bad. I, mean, I was interested in, in the transition when you talk about these, these shifting perspectives between chasing, uh, you know, really caring about the craft and chasing artistic um, greatness as a student at Juilliard um, to making his way with the smaller roles in, in teen movies, et cetera, to I'm going to be in all the blockbusters to where he is now in terms of the more eclectic things. Is it just, I did the best role I could do at any given time or is there more of a thought process behind it? You know, was it selling out for the money? Um, you know, which is perfectly deciding I want to be the biggest actor in the world is perfectly legitimate, you know, but I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear the inside word from the guy who was but see, But see, that, that is the problem. I think that is the problem with most documentaries about people who are still alive, essentially, mm. that they still want, well, if it's a film that's what married, I don't think it's a matter about someone being alive. I think it's a matter about the involvement of the, of the subject itself in the documentary. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's very hard to create a level of, um, pure artistic integrity and partiality when dealing with it. Um, I think Val Kilmer does a very good job if he's involved in this documentary, but it didn't have someone pushing him to ask the questions which thematically I think he may not have thought people were in most interested to hear. Hmm. One last little thought about um, how we're always cheated of the more in-depth understanding of what Val Kilmer thinks. I was reminded when talking about his, his Juilliard years early on, we see this incredible piece of footage with um, a theater actor who's incredibly 
um, bombastic instructor, yeah, instructor who, yeah, who yeah, has yeah. this actor voice who who shuts down Val Kilmer saying, "Well, I've never experienced um, something like that." When the instructor asks him why he's being so kind of like mannered and theatrical with it by saying that um, there's nothing you haven't experienced in terms of like what you can apply creatively to your art. And then we, um, he, he's so over the top. And then we cut to Val Kilmer, who's doing a big like kind of whoa face. And then we move on from it in the documentary. But after oh, yeah. spending that much time watching this clip, I wanted to hear what Val Kilmer thinks now, you know, looking back at his young self. I want to hear you say like, is he shot like, um, wow, that guy's a dick? Or is it like, um, yeah. that was, you know, that's actually true. You know, how does he feel about that after, you know, looking back at his young self after 40 years? You know what? The cynic in me, and maybe you know, shoot me or whatever, was thinking, you know, the purpose of the documentary is basically the stage of his career that about Kilmer is at. It's like in the documentary and putting it out, it's my indirect way of saying, you know, please give me challenging roles because I haven't got enough. That's what I think. Oh, right and now he's instead, in the instead of me saying it directly. I, yeah, yeah, I exactly. Instead of me saying it directly. I, think I just want to like, put out this film out there. Forget about me. I think exactly. it's more like it's his autobiography and he's a, he's a filmmaker. And I don't mind someone making, I don't mind every person in the world making, every filmmaker, every actor making autobiography. I'm not going to watch them all. I'm going to watch the ones that have more interesting tangents hmm. and have more to say about subjects and subjects beyond their prime subjects more broadly. I think this does. And for that reason, I'd recommend it. I I would recommend it too, after all that, because the trajectory of his career is interesting and because you get to see interesting candid footage of um, Val Kilmer and a lot of his co-stars. Dr. Um, Moreau's stuff is great. I mean, there's so much has been written. It's actually strange because so much has been written. Documentaries being made about what happened on set, but this footage he held onto and released it for the first time. So a little yeah. bit of a treasure for people who are fascinated by it's this great. particular history. Yeah, it's great inside Hollywood stuff. And Val is an interesting person who it's interesting to think about in light of what you learn about him here. It needed a better title, a more interesting title, like, you know, Kilmer Fudd, like Elmer Fudd, but Kilmer Kilm Fudd. You know, something fine. better than Val. Val is just so like, okay, Val. Val was by Kilmer. <laughs> Val, Kilmer. Val, Val was fine for me. And it is streaming on Amazon Prime now. You're listening to Film Fight Club on 2CR with Glenn Falcon, Snacker Simmons, and Barat Nehru. And the last little bit before we go into the podcast, we're going to be talking about He's All That, which had its premiere on Netflix last week. Yeah, it not is on a, TikTok, on Netflix. Yeah, it I'm sure we, we've done our research on TikTok. We think we understand how this works. Apparently, you upload clips or things in an absolute maximum of 60 seconds and you have effects to it. This stars a bunch of TikTok stars, including. Addison Ray is the lead. Also, Rachel Lee Cook is in this from She's All That. It is this plot of She's All That where someone has to turn someone a not the most desirable or beloved person at school into someone who is all that as part it's, of a bit. Someone who's ugly into a hot person, basically. And it's the gender role switched from the original. That's what we're it's, it's funny because, like, She's All That is just kind of like, I know one is like, Taming of the Shrew and one is is Pygmalion supposedly but it's really just kind of like all right it's he's clueless again right so it's funny to see like it's a similar enough plot similar enough narrative archetype that it drew from that it, that it can easily be seen as like a post clueless cashing in kind of on the trend movie right 
And now we put the next the new one. All right, I, I think <laughs> sorry, I don't know. But it's, no, just, I, it's I, so played out at this point. This, no, this I, I think, but I think it's a little more particular that when it comes to Shizal that, and we have to talk about why Shizal that is good. I really like Shizal that. I think it's one of the best teen films ever made. Um, as is not another teen movie, I unironically adore that film and I've watched it too many times to talk about why He's All That is not as good. She, everyone, everyone makes fun of She's All That because it's how dare, how could you have this ugly duckling story where Rachel Lee, with Rachel Lee Cook, this film where men find Rachel Lee Cook unattractive, blah, blah, blah. But that's not actually what's going on in She's All That. The, the emphasis of the film is not on the transformation. It plays out in that classic debutante iconography. It's about, it's a film about formative experiences about first love which is why I think Rachel Lee Cook does nail it. I think she's well cast I think the original film handles it well this film is very different in that it doesn't play out with that um, first love formative iconography it is simply the quote-unquote ugly duckling story did my quote air quotation marks for you radio listeners just there turning into a handsome prince and I think it misses that crucial thing that made she's all that really really good there are things i enjoyed about this film the other thing really i think we have to distinguish is that she's all that uh, was about school leavers in 99 it was set at contemporary it was aimed at contemporaries people who were supposed to watch it was 17 18 19 this actually aimed at a slightly younger audience i'd argue this is aimed at people who are closer to 15 16 or even younger um though obviously i think this was designed very in a very calculated manner to appeal to both them and to their parents who saw she's all that back in the day were like oh yeah Rachel Cook's in a film called He's All That. I'll watch that with you. And I did like the other cameo, the other person they brought back. That was quite funny. And she's great. They actually Cook is always good. Yeah. Um, Miramax did an initiative about how can we mine our properties. That's the only reason why She's All That came back. It was like, what do we have that's valuable? I remember reading about this a couple of years ago. What do we have that's valuable that we can create content for streamers with? And I guess someone drew out she's all that. And along the way in development hell, they thought TikTok? And that's the, the version we got, I, mean, I guess. I mean, I mean, I mean, this this version, he's he's all that, has some interesting thematic tangents. I'd I'd say that with like maximum hesitancy. But the one thing that they tried to insert into the narrative was this class difference uh, commentary, especially about you know the rich versus poor divide, which was I think yeah, interesting. Yeah. And I think that yeah. did work for the most part. If, if there's something that's more successful yeah. and more original about this film than, uh, you know, everything else, it's probably this angle, which from whatever it's worth was not too bad. I'd go further than that. I'd say there actually was a decent discussion in this film about oversaturation of media, a more considered expression through art, the healthy intake of digital media versus being a little... Uh, ste- stepping back a little and no it's um, so funny to think about because it's the it's like the okay boomer tiktok movie where you can feel like people from an older generation trying to write a, a story subtly about how the, their audience is wrong where filmmakers guys um while also flattering them enough that they won't be turned yeah. off the movie creating uh, content is not it's not what is filmmaking guys it's you guys you know you shouldn't think that 60 seconds should merit all the attention of all the world. It's not all about the views in the end. Okay, okay, the person you are in your heart. But but speaking of poor writing, I I like in the original how they play as a bit of a joke. But there is actually a transformative scene. I'm not another teen movie. Spent a lot of time taking the piss out of this. It annoys me a little that basically his transformation and this was him taking his hat off and sure, like it cut his hair a bit, but it was basically and a haircut. You're yeah. gonna take your hat. What different clothes? 
They wore different clothes, but then Rachel Lee Cook had Lady Boggs. His his original outfit looks right out of Clueless or he's all that. It's like genuine nineties. Yeah, nineties is back. But it, no, it's basically it's his, from you know, so the, his actual transformation. Nineteen ninety five. His outfit changing from like the nineties to you know more contemporary outfits. Like, yeah, it's literally his transformation is like let us take you from the nineties into the two thousand tens. And now you're hot because you're not wearing something that somebody of today's kid. You're would fashionable. Wear. Yeah, you're fashionable now, which is kind of cruel. That's actually cruel, if anything else. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of yeah. The whole plot of this film is cruel, as this, is the original. She's all that, but this movie learn things. We're running out of time in the radio episode, but this movie is hard to talk about. Yet somehow we're going to continue to. This movie is basically critic proof. What any <laughs> of us say has no value. You know, like I would even say, it's what we trending number say one on Netflix. We have yeah. some value when we trash like blockbusters. I hope, but on this one, I genuinely feel there's nothing we can contribute to the discourse. But so we will. Well, I have a, yes, I have a, we have a few other things to add on it. So we'll be talking about he's all that into the podcast. Um, Bell is now streaming on Amazon Prime. As said, it is a Netflix. Um, He's All That is on Netflix, as is She's All That, which is trending number six. We're going to be talking to the podcast for Clickbait too. So streaming on Netflix. And welcome back to the podcast where we're talking about he's all that. Something I liked, the dancing. There was good dancing. I've never seen Anderson Rae on TikTok. I would but... hope there'd be good dancing though, right? Like they cast someone who's not an actor, who's famous for dancing. Yeah, but like, she's she, an exceptional dance. dancer. She is so goddamn enigmatic as a dancer. It's not just the quality of the craft. It's that she is really fun to watch. She's, mm. she's great. Like I can see why she's gone on Olympic on TikTok. But wouldn't it have been better if instead of watching her do a uh, passable for someone who's not an actor, which means by Hollywood standards, pretty bad lead performance, if instead they put her in like a step up type movie and it was just like, come watch Addison Ray dance, but like with a budget yeah. that she doesn't have on TikTok. Here it's just like we've worked to write a, a dance off in and well, a, a character comments on how bad this is as a piece of writing in the background. So you won't think about that. Um, which is by the way is the exact same scene that played out in the teen movie at the prom it's like i think it's josh radner actually it's like can you believe that everyone at the school is a professional dancer yeah (laughs) but um but yeah here here um what's his name shaggy matthew lilard says that yeah and he he deserves better roles as always he's so good he's so Um, good but Uh, yeah he's Speaking so, of people at the prom, you know what would have been funny? You know, who was the, the uh, DJ at the prom and she saw that? It was Usher. Can you imagine if they just brought him back as a joke? That would have been funny. Usher, yeah. He would probably be beyond their budget even. I don't know. Um, maybe not. I, I don't know. They did have one very... I didn't realise it was Courtney Kardashian. It shows that I'm the wrong audience. This well, film. apparently she's she's BFFs with um with Addison Ray, so that's probably how they got her on board. Wait, where, where was Courtney Kardashian? Courtney Kardashian was the person on the... So listen, listen to us. Courtney Kardashian was the person on the phone being like, um, I don't know if I can sponsor you right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I know, yeah, I had to look yeah, it up too, because like, brand, not a great brand. actress, but you look like you're probably someone very famous. She, it's that's Kardashian. what I like. She vaguely looks like Kim Kardashian, but doesn't. So like, yeah, you know... Um, for those yeah. for those listening, the Kardashians are not the race that share the border with the Klingon Empire and Star Trek. There's the Kardashians. Very important distinction. I always get confused. Right. Anyway, yeah, uh, it is a they had a Kardashian. I think there were more famous TikTok people in this. I don't know. You know who was? But I did enjoy. Good I did enjoy the joke about the DJ though, where you know it's basically like, oh, I paid four thousand five hundred dollars for someone to basically use their phone. Like, where where are your 
where your where your disc sets, where is your setup? And he's like, oh, that was that was a funny generational gag. Like I yeah. quite like I I yeah I, I enjoyed it. There were, there were bits I liked. I liked the joke. There's one throwaway line from the grandma that comes out of nowhere, which is actually the best line in the film. They're talking about first love, and she just comes out with this absolute banger. Um, they also about the croquant bush, which I learned now is a French dessert, was pretty funny. Um, my mind's been, um, I, I'm struggling to tune into what any of you are saying because my mind's been taken over by the idea of funding a, uh, a dance movie with all the biggest dances of TikTok and how come Hollywood hasn't done this yet. Money in the bank, guys. Yeah, this is huge. It wasn't going to be big. You know who was a good actor, though? The sister. She was really fun. She was good, she was yeah. Really good, she great. great. Yeah, she was fantastic. So was much better than the lead. Yeah, yeah, so much because better. like she was the only one who was playing it straight. I think everyone else was trying too hard, and it just felt like no, no. She just not just could act, but was a good actress. Hmm. That's, like, that's harsh, but there a lot, a lot of people in this film were just parroting lines. Like they were not trained, talented actors, hmm. which is which was what they were going for. Um, the, the, I saw just level of production design. It's, I've been watching a few Elvis films lately, and it's that annoying thing 50s and 60s films have where um, they think they've, there's, they have these car scenes where the experience, the car looks fake, and they've tech, the modern tech has found a way to solve this. But all those scenes shot in cars have looked fake looking experiences. And it's just a lazy looking thing in a film with mansions where you pay millions of dollars for TikTok stars. So it's a on. Netflix movie. Netflix movies are basically, with a few exceptions, TV movie level in terms of production design. I'm sorry, guys. I think we are not giving the film due credit for it being a literary phenomena because, I mean, this film talks about the great Gatsby and quite a lot of deaths that we are forgetting. Yeah, we that's it. That's the... I'll drop it like F. Scott. Is it was the name of the party. That was pretty funny. How many 18-year-olds have, like, electro swing um, <laughs> great Gatsby parties? You're right when you say this is aimed at, like, 15-year-olds because someone who's 18 would be like, ha, no one I know parties like that. There will just be like drunken messes falling over the the decor, throwing up. Exactly. <laughs> but 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 to the film's credit, yeah. the party scene was good, and it actually did think about Great Gatsby more than a lot of other films. Like most of the Great Gatsby films, including the Baz Luhrmann one, which I can't stand, have very service level. Oh yeah, it's the twenties, the roaring twenties. Let's have a great time. This actually has no way to it. What was Richard actually talking about? like the original 74th Redford film did. I don't think this goes into as much detail. I think that's a much better it's film. A, it's a throwaway. Like, give it credit where credit's due. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does. It does. It, it's, yeah. more than, it, it's, it's more than a service. Most films give a service level approach to Gatsby. I like Gatsby as a novel. This did not. I liked that. Good for them. I, I think the best line in the film was that. It's just like, you know, uh, because when... Uh, the, the, the guy says, I don't think you guys know what this, uh, you know, what, what The Great Gatsby was actually about. He's like, yeah, yeah of course. Cool. They don't. It's, Read the it's, book. It's, it's about F. Scott. That's why it's dropping like F. Scott. And then you take a photo. Anyway, so. Okay. Has any rom-com ever starred as a lead without complicating her such a generic hot girl archetype? She's like the hot, the hot girl, like from Mean Girls or something. Like she's a character that's usually but the villain. With, with a golden she's, heart, apparently. With a, so yeah, she, she's a nice girl. Right? She's, she's like, not um, mean. She, everyone just thinks she's mean. So yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the complication. She's actually a nice person at heart. Yeah, that's right. But she's, the, you know, there's been the tradition of, you know, movies are written by the nerds, 
and the, the leads are always the outside of weirdos and the popular ones in high school movies get their comeuppance at the end. And uh, that sort of role would be too much of a stretch for Addison Ray to play. So here she's playing like the popular one. Like, that, I don't know that the, I've ever yeah, seen a movie that's, 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 the, just... that's the other spectrum of the archetype, right? Where if you're hot, you must be mean. If you are somehow right, yeah, nice, yeah, yeah. You can never be someone with a nice person and hot. It just doesn't work together. You're the person who's, well, I think, yeah, it's, it's you're the, the person who's been given power and you used it to bully me. So I'm taking it out with this on you 15 years later with this screenplay. Which, but, which, is, why, um, which, is, what, which is why the the villain turn in this whole film just, just didn't work for me. I was just like, wow, that, that was just, okay. But yeah, I just, I just found it interesting. Like we've never, I don't think seen the popular one played so straight as the main character before. Well, yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Um, I, mean Girls springs to mind. Um, in mean Girls, obviously, mean Girls, obviously very distinct. Different, you know, or, you know something like Clueless um, or, or Mean Girls about stories of people who like how they can't keep up the popular thing. You know what but I mean? Cool Intentions actually does deal with this a little bit. Cool Intentions, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, this film, and this is the thing, you know, in the setup, uh, where you know uh, this film was talking about how because she was a popular one, she doesn't get the same uh, benefit of the doubt, and people uh, actually want her to fail. And there was nothing mm-hmm. in this film, in the setup, that sort of convinced me that this person was deserving of that meanness or was mean to other people in the lead up. And I was right. like, okay, why? Like, why do people want her to fail? Like, has she treated any of them badly? There was nothing in the setup to tell me that. She just seemed to be a nice person who was just popular. So, okay. Though, though it is established this, this whole high school is just full of TikTokers and that it's an underlying commentary on forms like this as being competitive in a way that's not nice. That's I it, though. That's bad. The, the location of this movie is way more interesting and the script is like there's so many interesting things going on in this movie but the, yeah the if, if this not could designed be said, to explore them. this could be said like behind the scenes of like in the life of a tiktoker would be a great film because that would be like well that's it that's it it shows you the, a character that we're not used to seeing on film before which is a popular social media influencer and dares to say that person is the protagonist but the script then follows the archetypes of you know because it's a remake and because it's in a very long tradition. It just follows typical rom-com archetypes. But I appreciate the effort to show this person's constantly filming things. And uh, apart from a few okay boomerisms, mostly not pass judgment on it. But outside of that, yeah, there's never any understanding of, of what is her motivation um, behind the filming and documenting she's doing. Like the, the, that, I'm not asking for a deep character study. Uh, yes, but there I, is. There absolutely is. They talk about, wanting to help her mom with the bills and out of poverty. There's oh, a sense right. of looking to belong. That's I it. Think the, that's legitimate. We the are thing poor, about guys. helping we the moms poor. out of poverty, though, it's like... Excuse, poor, I'm sorry, poor, what? what? I'm sorry, what's the issue here? No, I just said, oh, we're poor because my mom is a nurse. Like, not really that poor, to be honest. Wow, okay. Um, no, you're wrong. Uh, 
versus I'm directly underpaid in countries, including in the United States. She is a single mother trying to raise her daughter and she lives in an area that's obviously very affluent and she like similar to elements of she's all that. And I think it's very fair to say that her and the daughter want to aspire to a life different from this. I think this is a perfectly valid explanation for a lot of her behavior and motivations in the film as is her mother's. Well, I disagree because um, the level of integrating your personal life and your everyday experiences with entertainment as something that you're sharing to the masses as a high level influencer goes beyond just like I'm doing this for the money. It, it's like something, it's such a easy way of not of writing out any kind of delving into this character, which I think it is a brave new world for a sympathetic Hollywood protagonist. Um, to, to me, like, it's to stop I mean, there, there's so much she's... more going on psychologically about paying yeah. attention all the time. It's to stop like people documenting your life 24-7. Like, what are the psychological uh, uh, behaviors that influence you to do that? And that's you know, the thing. I can hear that. someone listening to this and going like, guys, it's a standard rom-com. Um, but I'm not asking for a deep character study. I just think that, like, thinking about the, the, the motivations and, and the thought processes that are going on behind the scenes for this kind of person can motivate the plot in more interesting ways than we get in this film. Um, for me, it was just, for me, I accepted the argument uh, that she wants to be popular. She sees validation as the amount of followers she has. When she starts to lose followers, this is analogous in life, not just to people who have a few, say a few hundred followers and can experience some experience, but how people now and years ago and certainly in years to come will experience ebbs and flows in how they are perceived as popular at school. Um, I that, that worked for me. And that is certainly, I don't, I'm not as beholden to uh, the amount of followers on Instagram and a lot of other people, but I can see how, the, and I, but I understand, empathize how that is a more consequential thing for a lot of people. It is reflective of how a lot of people, including people younger than us, um, what uh, experience their priorities. And this film was, well, I, I think it could have been in much more detail and it could have gone into much more depth was I think fairly reflective of that. This film goes at the social media angle with um, presented in the mildest kind of way is the gentlest kind of criticism. So as not to be too, okay, boomer. But also the, like the comparison, hey, because you know, the, the guy is into photography and obviously he, he goes old school when he's taking a camera and it's just like, oh, does anyone even use that kind of a camera? And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not okay, anymore? And, you know, it's all like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of but the, the point I was trying to make it is that what it comes down to saying is like, hey, guys, social media isn't real. Actually, there's another side, um, oh, you know, totally. real people too. It's not all perfect. <laughs> this is the same, the same message that Hollywood always uses in stories about social media. I feel like the, the actual Gen Z audience, I'm sure, like, I know there's still a lot of mental health issues um, as a re result of the grind of, of being a high-level influencer, but I feel like the audience is more savvy than this script is, is respecting. The, yeah, audi the audience for this, I think, knows, like, so even though they partake in it, they know social media isn't real well enough that they're probably sick of Hollywood constantly telling them that. Exactly. It, it, it is kind of patronizing, especially if this movie is targeted towards 15 and 16-year-olds who have grown up on social media and who are probably more critically aware of the difference between the real and the real world and yeah. still choose to partake in that for their own reasons. And none of those reasons are actually extrapolated enough in this film mm. 
The messaging is very mild. I disagree. Highly critical film. And I don't, I don't disagree, but I, I, I feel where this is overemphasizing the emphasis of the film. Um, again, I think the emphasis is on like the Douglas storyline, the, the honesty versus honesty in the space of social media itself. And I honestly think it's just a relatively service level remake of a film which handled these films, these themes better 22 years ago. Yeah. And 20 years ago, I'll tell you about another teen movie, of course. It doesn't merit this huge amount of analysis we're giving it. But I do find it interesting, though, mostly in regard to this TikTok thing, which is probably why I'm mostly talking about that. I went on a rant a few weeks ago about how film isn't keeping up with the times in terms of how it represents technology and the way that people interface with it now. Um, and this is one of the very few Hollywood productions that actually tries to do so, to keep up with it and, and you know, show characters filming things on their phones all the time without necessarily judging them for doing so. There's a small amount of judgment, but for the most part, it is quite neutral. It's a distinction yeah. made of something um, um, with clickbait, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, which also has a similar form, but I do not believe is judgmental, though it does function as a separately as a more mature cautionary tale. Right. It was just, I had a thought before when we were talking about the working for um, paying mum's bills, the, the uh, shield against anyone thinking, oh, this character is just the, the biggest narcissist of the school. Um, but... Uh, or in the top five narcissists. Um, but anyway, that aside. In a school full of narcissists, technically. So. Right, exactly. This, the, the environment of this school is a strange one to think about with regards to like a story of class differences or affluence or whatever, because like this could only happen among the mega rich. This is so like LA, everyone wants to be um, a pop star or an actress and they think it's within reach. Um, you know, every, these, these, I know everyone uses social media, but this is like a school full of people who really, really think they're special. Um, this is a school full of, full of people who understand they're at the top of the, of the chain, you know, subconsciously and act, act that way. And, and, a, and a, something like, I'll use the non teen movie example, 10 Things Hand About You is probably a better one, as is Mean Girls where the school itself has such a strong personality. The setting here for the school is distinct. It, the, the school itself could have had more personality. It's a it's a detraction of the film. It's something that's, that's lacking in writing. Mm. But yeah, um, it's glossy Hollywood entertainment about the uber-rich, you know, like they've always made. Um, a few stir observations about this. Uh, I didn't like the stakes of the wager. I'm not saying it has to be anything akin to the previous two films we've discussed, but it was just kind of a anticlimactic element to the whole film. Uh, the product placement was very shameless. Oh, yeah. The way that it's like, yeah, here's the thing I love, KFC. Bad, bad. I was just um, how about some free slices? That was genuinely funny. Can I take KFC to go? It was the funniest line of the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he did you take a whole bucket. And I was like, like okay. Shot that's, the shot that starts on what someone's looking at, the website with a big logo on the, cam on the laptop and then pans over to the scene. Yeah. Okay. Um, thing something I liked the at the end credits they showed the clips of the cast, which is something not a lot of films do, and I enjoyed that. Um, now, and I think a few films have done this. After Back to the Future, every film has to have a sea themed dance. This one was actually called Under the Sea, as opposed to Enchantment Under the Sea. And I was chatting with my friends who had, before watching this about what would be the um, uh, Rockefeller Skank equivalent um, like I the iconic song of this film and it was Teenage Dream which actually I think was a pretty fair choice 
It's a pretty good it's, song. It's one of the few I was thinking as that came up in this uh, film, pop songs that will last from that era. Mm. I think a lot of um, songs, here's my OK Boomer moment, a lot of pop songwriting um, shifted to being driven by beats, which I'm, I'm not opposed to dance music or heavily beat-based music. That's not where this is going. But it's heavily driven by by beats and kind of annoying ultra repetitive hooks, like taking the repetition aspect of pop music to the absolute maximum. Um, whereas something like Teenage Dream is an incredibly infectious, catchy melody, you know, with um, memorable lyrics that, you know, you can sing at karaoke. Yes. It's, a, yeah, it's one of the, the few hits that I think that will survive from that dark age. So coming out of that dark age is He's All That, which is now streaming on Netflix. Um, in the last few minutes, I'm just going to talk about Clickbait, which had its net premiere on Netflix, all eight episodes last week, and is streaming now. In has similar thematic elements to He's All That, but is very much a different genre. It stars Adrian Grenier, i.e. not Vinnie Chase from Entourage, um, in his best post-Vinnie Chase role, and Zoe Kazan. It is about uh, Vinnie Chase's character who is kidnapped and is held. We, we see online that he, there's a live stream of video with him holding up a sign saying, I killed a woman and if this hits 5 million views, I'll die. Um, so there's this two ticking bombs under the table situation. One is what is going to happen to him? Who's doing it to him? And number two, what is this, um, what is this element that the sign is referring to? Um, notably, the story is told from multiple different perspectives. Every episode takes place from a different character's perspective. It's a good way to tell a story, which allows for some overlaps in um, the drama and how the drama is perceived. Um, this is very much modern in that it focuses on the tech and online space and integrates into the storytelling similar to in ways that he's all that did. Uh, it's what, unfortunately, like a lot of the tech dramas, as soon as you get technical, it the it starts, the logic starts to fall apart a bit, but the emphasis is on broadly relatable and plausible pitfalls of going online. So I forgive it that. And I liked having said that the technical focus was um, broadly emblematic of what online experiences can typically be like and otherwise extreme circumstances thereof. Um, this, I really liked this in that it does something very few series and in that very few American series do. It's usually ones like Broadchurch that handle it better in that this had thematic coherency. This was a story about intimacy in ways we seek it out, particularly in online and how this can both be good and alternately dangerous and not rewarding. Um, is a strange time to release right now because now more than ever, I think we are looking to online spaces for intimacy and relations. So it was both a cautionary tale right now, but um, I think more eerily relevant as of the moment. Um, I liked the focus on reporting and also content moderation. I have a cousin who's a content moderator at Facebook, and it can be a very daunting experience. Zoe Kazan was great. Phoenix Ray played the cop. Um, we'll see a lot more of him. And uh, also the Beasley character. I think this, 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 the success of the story pivoted on a few key actors being able to impart ambiguity, us knowing that they knew something or probably knew something or maybe know something that we don't know. And us and their performances being able to impart that effectively was really successful. I think the actress who played Beasley was very good at this, grinning it too, but if to a lesser extent. Um, the ending, I won't, so obviously not going to spoil it, but the best thing I think you can say about any detective drama is that it takes you aback and is a surprise. Um, I didn't see it coming. 
So that was great. And the ending was one of the best episodes therein. I would play very well with the assumptions you make about the digital space. And when you reflect back on the ending, there are some really dark misdirections. So I thought that was good and well done. Um, having said that, it didn't end when it should have. A lot of series like to wrap up things or to have like a few moments where you can otherwise calm down after the uh, ultimate climax of the events. And I remember a comment Chris made in the context of Rebecca about Hitchcock, how he always knew exactly when to end a film and how I think that can always be more powerful when you end on this incredible crescendo. A lot of series aren't doing that now. This certainly a didn't. I wish it had. Series storytelling often isn't that much more expansive in terms of the actual core of what's being communicated than a two-hour film, but they go for like six hours. There's so much padding. It amazes me how much um, people tolerate uh, TV wasting their time, honestly. Look, I don't think this has padding. I just think it could have ended 10 minutes earlier and been more emphatic. Right. right. So that is clickbait. I think it's good. I'd recommend it. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick it out. The, the other film I saw, because in my head, I was just like, because Annette was coming out on Amazon. I thought it was coming out on Amazon in Australia as well. No. It, clearly not. But and you know, I'm devastated because well, I thought I'd cover it next week. The thing about Annette um, is it would have been a, a huge blessing that um, Mad Men had it in Australia instead of Amazon because it means a more extensive theatrical release. Yeah. However, <laughs> the lockdown had other plans. So Annette is out now in places that aren't Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, we'll gladly review I mean, it. And from all the reviews and everything, I mean, it's a great film. I would highly, 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 highly recommend if you can watch it wherever you are. I don't yeah. know where you are. You know, if yeah, you can see it in the cinema, go and see it. Yeah, it's but it's uh, a film from what I'm reading from the reviews. It is actually designed for the theatrical experience. That's right. How I, set up I've works. Said, yeah, I've said this a few times, but I really hope there'll be at least a one-off screening or two of Annette when cinemas reopen here. The Ritz will do it for us. I feel like the Ritz will probably do it. Yeah, yeah maybe guys, we'll yeah, go. Yeah. We'll be there. We'll be there. Yeah. Um, we will, however, next week be covering the Irish Film Festival, which is screening from this Friday night. A lot of cool films there. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff streaming right now. I'm going to make my way through Val Kilmer's filmography this week, the ones I haven't seen. I've got, I actually noted, these are, these are the four major Kilmer clips I've never watched that I'm really keen on. The Doors, Deja Vu, Red Planet, and True Romance. I don't know a lot about any of those. Obviously, Romance, the is, really good. Well. Romance is really good. I've heard really good things about True Romance, so I'm going to go through those. True Romance. Yeah. That's my week. It's, it's, it's a Glenn kind of film, which is not, oh, I, yeah, no, no, this, this, this is not like a, I just a, find a jive on Glenn. I'm just saying we have uh, different true, things. True, and I think it's strongly true romance is fun. It's yeah. fun. But like, it kind of feels like a budget Tarantino movie in some ways. It's interesting seeing Tony Scott theatrical visuals over Tarantino script. Yeah. But it, it to me, it feels like... Uh, low-grade Tarantino like it's it's too shallow with the characters um and too similar to you know the other things that, that spawned out of this project like um natural bond killers and also I think Pulp Fiction you That's can just true. see that, like it's done better elsewhere I think than true romance but still I mean uh, it was fun to see Kilmer in that kind of world and he did a pretty good job and it, it's a fun film it's a film that I remember quite fondly like, yeah I agree with that uh, it's because nostalgia can sometimes be dangerous or you can oh yeah it, you know you kind of feel like ah oh, that was a film that i used to love and then you watch it again i'm like oh that was trash that was actually I, like I mean i try to be able to um assess something by my current eyes and not be guided by nostalgia i feel like these days everyone's just way too 
driven by nostalgia, you know. But I, I get it. The the current reality is terrifying. So the you know, rejecting it for a new one is is always tantalizing. Rejecting it for an old one, sorry. A new yeah, world I mean, made up of whatever reality we're living in. I don't know which reality we're living in right now. Who knows what reality we're living in? This is all part of the we're all part of the multiverse, you know. Oh god, that's it. That's it. The multiverse is the, the same beyond being a narrative explanation for shameless IP for um building the yeah. uh you know it's just like what if we could just take the nostalgia of the original Spider-Man movies and then you know bring in those make people part, yeah and, make and it part of the plot make it part of the plot so that we can hook in that generation as well as this generation of people who love Spider-Man. But it's also a very sincere and direct representation of the desire to leave this reality behind, isn't it? So let's imagine that alternate universes exist, that somehow we've gone on the wrong trajectory and we can just jump over to this other one. It's going to be watching nothing matters when a wizard could just change everything. But yeah, that's the thing. I wish and hope that that was that level of introspection was actually part of the film. But no. No, you're you're not supposed to think about why you're obsessed with characters from 30 years ago um, or stories about parallel dimensions. You're supposed to subconsciously uh, be tingled in the hopeless part of your brain and consume. All right, listeners, I think we've veered <laughs> off into another tangent altogether. Another, another multiverse. Another, multiverse. Uh, and a, a new level of cynicism but, from me, probably. But it's okay. But, uh, but thank you so much for listening in. We will be back next week, uh, we promise, without as much cynicism if uh, the lockdown allows. Or whatever. I, I can't promise anything at this stage. <laughs> no, no, Irish films are fun. There's lots of good Irish, there's lots of good, happy, and dramatic, and Wolf Walkers. Really keen. Yeah, I'm super keen. We missed out on a theatrical release for that last year when it played for Oscar contention in the US. So, yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, Till then, enjoy movie, streaming, TikTok, whatever is your poison. Do you you enjoy TikTok? Okay, I'm sure people who have TikTok enjoy TikTok. I feel anyone listening in this far into the podcast definitely likes movies. But uh, (laughs) if they're not bringing you joy right now, I don't know, find something else. See you guys. See you. Bye. Good night. Good night.